0: Welcome to episode 20 of Force Time. My name is Travis, and today I am so honored to have a very special guest with me, Sarah Kuhn. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me. Sarah is the author of the popular Heroin Complex series, as well as the DC graphic novel Shadow of the Batgirl, her 2019 YA novel I Love You So Mochi, and a variety of short fiction and comics. She recently joined the Star Wars universe by writing Dr. Afra, an audiobook original. And it was so good, made me fall in love with Dr. Afra even more than I already was and couldn't recommend it enough. So if you haven't bought it yet, please go do that and listen to that as soon as you can because it's, it's just so good. And we might get into some spoilers here today as well. So just you have been warned. <laughs> uh, so let's get right into it. I know that right now you're your pinned tweet on Twitter is a picture of you with uh, Ewok as a toddler. And and also, my daughter and I just watched the Claudia Kishi Club on Netflix, which Mm. you were featured in, and she... My daughter, who just turned six, she yelled out right when you came on screen and said, hey, there's Leia and Rose right there. And like, I didn't even notice it. At first. So I know you're a big, big Star Wars fan. Um, and, and I love that uh, everyone's Star Wars fandom story is a little bit different. And I just wanted to know, what is your Star Wars fandom story?
1: <laughs> uh, that's a good question. And, you know, it's interesting because um, I don't actually remember a time where it was not part of my life. Like, it just seems like it was, it it was always, it was always part of me. Um, I don't remember, you know, exactly how old I was when I, I first saw the movies, but I know that I was very, very small. And um, the, the first thing I actually remember, I think is that um, I told my parents I wanted the Princess Leia action figure, but I wanted the one uh, where she, you know, it's her, like her first outfit. It's the white outfit and the the cinnamon bun hairdo. And um, I think I kept saying something like, I want the one where she has donuts because that's what I thought the hair looked like with donuts. And uh, for, for whatever reason, at the, the moment that I wanted it, it was the okay. hardest star wars action figure to find like they could not find it anywhere and there was of course no internet at that point so that was you know it wasn't like they could just go on ebay or something Uh, but they did finally find it for me and i still have it it's very cherished possession um so yeah i just feel like it was kind of always part of my life and still is to this day
0: And so now you get to, you've gotten to write in the same exact canon that has given us those Ewoks and Princess Leia, and so many iconic moments. What was your reaction when you got that call that you were going to be writing this book?
1: (laughs) I mean, you know, it's, I assume what everyone's reaction is, which was just, I was you know, I was so excited. I mean, I I remember that my agent called me and usually she emails me. So I know she's calling, it's like something really important or, you know, something really bad, but luckily in this case, it was good. And, you know, I don't, I don't think she even got to what it was about or what it was or any of that. I just was like, yes, of course. Like, I how could I say no to that, um, and the fact that it was Afra made it even better.
0: So Doctor Afra was introduced in 2015 in the tw- uh, run of Darth Vader comments by Kieran Gillen and artist Salvador Larocca, and she was so, so popular she got her own series the next year. Uh, what was your relationship to the character of Afra prior to getting that call?
1: I mean, I love her. I I just thought, you know, when she was introduced, she was um, such a breath of fresh air. She just kind of grabs you by the throat, and you you sort of can't not look at her whenever she's she's on the page on panel. Um, so, you know, I I always had this sort of very deep love for her, and the fact that she. You know, is um, you know, looks like an Asian woman, which is what I am, was certainly very meaningful. I don't, I especially at that point had not really seen faces like mine in Star Wars, um, so that was very meaningful. Um, and then just you know, just the fact that like she is always having like the best time, like she's really living her best life. I mean, a common theme of like a lot of the interviews I've done is just that, like. You know, a lot of if you're like the main character in Star Wars, like if you're one of the Skywalkers or something, you're usually not really having a very good time. Like there's just like a lot of other stuff happening. It's very difficult. There's a lot of angst. There's a lot of galaxy saving that has to happen. And so I think um, she's really special because she seems to me like maybe one of the only Star Wars characters who's actually having a good time pretty much whenever she's in the story. So um, yeah, I was really in love with her from the start. And I think that that is a pretty common experience for uh, people who are are fans of hers.
0: Absolutely. She is. She's just, she's always just doing it. I mean, she's just (laughs) having fun. She really is one of a kind too in the Star Wars universe. I I can't think of another character that's so chaotic, so rogue, so um, just... Always out there having the best time. And I, I know she was described as kind of the opposite, but kind of the same as an Indiana Jones character by Karen Gillen. And yeah. I think just having that in Star Wars is just such a perfect fit. And it's just just been so fun to watch her. Yeah, for sure. So adapting this from the comic books, uh, but also adding so much awesome stuff to this canon. What was that process like from the beginning until it was released?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I think the first thing was I had a conversation with uh, my editor, Elizabeth Schaefer, who's really awesome, and the producer of the audio, Nick Martorelli, who's also really awesome. And um, we just kind of talked about, like, you know, what what is this story? Like, how is it told? How is it maybe told in a, a special way for the audio format? And one thing that we kind of settled on right away was this has to be from Aphra's POV. I mean, there were certainly some options there. I think maybe at one point someone suggested maybe it was like triple zero or someone like that telling the story. But it just seemed like with this character, like it it was such a great opportunity to get to tell this story in in her words um, because the the original comics were called Darth Vader, not Dr. Aphra. And um, we just thought, she would, you know, certainly have a very interesting and probably very unreliable take on everything. Um, So that was kind of the first thing that we decided on. And then I know um, both Elizabeth and I went back and read all of the comics and sort of figured out, okay, like, here are all the parts where she's in the story. Here are some parts where we maybe wonder what she's doing. Um, And I think the big thing that I sort of had to come up with was, What ties all of this together? Um, Because if you just sort of take like her adventures, her scenes that she's in, and put those together, it does kind of form an arc. But again, it wasn't originally written for from her POV, and there are some gaps. Um, And so I just thought, you know, one, I wanted to come up with some ways to kind of bring it all together, so it felt like by itself a whole story, and then also. I wanted to kind of pull on some things that were, were interesting to me. I think that's sort of one of the great opportunities when you get to write anything licensed that you're a fan of is you sort of get to say, you know, what do I want to know about? Like, what is interesting to me about this? And they can still say, no, you know, they can still say no. you, you cannot pull on that thread or you can't actually explore that or whatever. Um, but in this case, everyone was really open to my ideas and, you know, the, the biggest thing that I, I thought uh, was something that I had been interested in, that I wanted to explore more, was the relationship with Sana Um Because most of what we've seen from them on the page um, has pretty much been the aftermath of, you know, their breakup, which was apparently very horrible. And most of their page time is spent, you know, hating each other and literally trying to kill each other. So I just thought, you um, that was something I wanted to explore just because I really, I really thought that if they're sort of reacting to each other so intensely, especially Sana it's very, very intense hate. Um, there must've been a moment where this, you know, this relationship was, was good. This, there was love there. There was like some, some kind of passion to inspire all of this hate. So that was something that um, I really wanted to explore. And it, it, kind of became, you know, the backbone of what, how, how we pulled the story together.
0: I think that was such a good choice. That was my favorite part of listening was all of those scenes and really how you have Afra who is so, we've said it a lot, but chaotic. And, but, but Sana is that one person that really makes her just stop and like uh, really think about things and just, uh, you know, it kind of takes her breath away, you know, (laughs) when she sees her after so long. And, and I know you have uh, written romance before Um, what did you pull on um, for romance with those two? Because we have, Like just within Star Wars, we have so much great romance with Han and Leia, with Anakin and Padme. I mean, it's 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 all over Star Wars. Was there anything um, that you uh, that inspired you for that relationship?
1: I mean, I've always been a big Han and Leia person. That was really kind of the first uh, fictional romance that I I imprinted on that, you know, kind of made me want to, you know, write more of that and explore more of that um, in stories. And um, yes, I always love writing romance, even if uh, something I write isn't technically a romance. There's usually some kind of romance in it. Um, And you know, I, I think that sort of the the lesson I've taken from, from writing so much romance is it does, uh, that kind of story really makes you go deep into character. And um, particularly for whoever's involved, in this case, Sana and Aphra, um, you really have to think about, you know, from beat to beat, from scene to scene, how does do each of these people feel? How do they feel not just about each other, but about their circumstances, about their environment, about, you know, whatever else is happening with them? And um, since the story with Sana and Afra, and, you know, the the parts that we included here um, takes place over, you know, many years, like it sort of spans different different points in the timeline. There's, you know, parts where they're much younger. There's parts now where they're older and they've seen a lot more. Um that was really important was kind of keeping track of you know especially Afra since again she is telling the story but also Sada you know how she's reacting to Afra and why she has such a strong reaction when they see each other all those years later you know clearly some stuff has gone down so um I think that was the main thing I really tried to keep in mind was just like how do these two specific people feel about each other at every moment and how does that kind of affect how they react to each other.
0: The big reveal in this book, or one of the one of the reveals, is that Afra is recording this for Sana, and the way that Afra is recording it is just so funny um, because <laughs> it, it really reminds me of recording a podcast where I'm like, oh, I, I need to go back and, and like edit that part out or mark this time. Uh, what what inspired you to to go that route with her? How did that come about? And um, yeah, that that part was just it was such a great way of of telling after story.
1: Thank you. Um that's funny that you say it reminds you of recording a podcast. Um for me it kind of reminded me of you know um when I was younger and I kept a regular diary and I think it was the kind that had um like the lock on the side so like no one could read it. And still I feel like even when I was like 11 or 12 a lot of times what I was thinking when I was writing in my diary was like What? how would I feel if I died or I disappeared or, you know, someone found this and they read it? Like, how would I feel about that? And so I think like, you know, that's what inspires like a lot of, you know, well, at least I don't know if kids write in diaries anymore, but tweens of my era. um, It was like always like, keep out like pages that were like, keep out, or like, don't read the next page. Or like, sometimes you would like cross things out or like rip the pages out. So you were sort of, you know, controlling your narrative. Like you were controlling, you know, what people were going to read about you. And so I feel like for Aphra, that's, she's the character that that is so, you know, that's so prime for her. like, of course, she wants to control the narrative. Of course, she cares what people think about her. Like she acts like she doesn't, but she's always putting on that bravado and she does want people to see her a certain way. Um, so I just thought like, especially since we were going so deep into her particular POV, that would be really fun. I knew that I wanted it to be first person. Cause I just thought like, you know, what an opportunity is again, to tell that in her voice. And, um, I think... That was something I came up with as a framing device uh, when I was actually doing the, the little pitch document, which is, you know, where you, after you've gotten the job, you sort of write out, like, here's what I think the story is, and here's like the new parts, and, you know, here's kind of like the, the structure and everything. And especially since we were adapting it from another medium, I kind of wanted to show, like, okay, here's how Afra is taking control of the story. And um, I don't remember exactly how I decided okay this is a recording but I knew that I wanted that sort of emotional arc of her telling this story and we don't really know who it's for and it seems like she's doing a lot of sort of pumping herself up and making the adventure sound maybe a little cooler than it is and all of that so I kind of wanted that sense of like at first you think like she's just recording this for some unnamed, faceless audience of, of fans, basically. Um, and then, of course, as it gets more and more personal and she starts kind of addressing it almost specifically to someone you're like, wait, this is, you know, maybe for someone. Um, and I just thought that was another way to kind of bring in the the sauna relationship. And it was another way to explore what her kind of arc is. And for me, the key to that was um, a great, Kieran Gillen line from uh, one of the first issues she's in where she says something like "Um, the way I've lived, I know I'm lucky to be alive. And I felt like it's interesting because there's something very flip about that. There's something very glib about it. It's, you know, it's her making a joke. She's being funny. Like she always is, but there's definitely a deeper sentiment running underneath. And she keeps saying that she's okay with dying but she's she also has such a survival instinct that I think at different points, you're like, OK, we know that's not true. Like we know that you're actually not OK with this and you will sort of do whatever you have to to live because that's what you've always done. So I wanted her to go kind of go through this um, this emotional arc where she realizes that she does actually want to live. She does really fight for that. She fights to always find, you know, what she calls her door is sort of like a door out of a a bad situation. And she gets into so many of them. She has to find these doors all the time. Um, So I thought like her maybe kind of realizing that. And then um, also realizing that part of why she's fighting so hard to live is because she knows that if she dies, you know, at the points that she's reflecting in the story, um, she will have regrets, you know, she will kind of have a problem with what she's left behind. She might not want everybody to to read the, you know, the diary with the, the key and the lock on it. So um, I just thought that was really interesting. And you can tell, in the original comic story, by the way that she's reacting to Sana during the the prison break sequence, that she does care. She's just trying to act really hard like she doesn't. Um, that's re- some really sort of subtle, brilliant character work in those issues. And so I really wanted to bring that out and kind of explore like, you know, it's Afra, so she's not necessarily like, going to have this big revelation and hold on to it. Um, Like she's not necessarily going to carry that forward in her life, but I thought it would be interesting if she at least thought about it. And she thought sort of like, okay, like I do actually want this person who was at one point very important to me, even though I won't admit it ever, unless I am actually dead. I do want her to know that, I cared. And it wasn't just something that, you know, I I sort of forgot about. And, you know, I, it's not that I don't feel bad about, you know, wronging this person in the past. I actually do. I just don't want to admit it. Um, So I thought all of that was really hopefully, you know, served well by having her make this recording that we see kind of, um, disintegrate over time until she's sort of forced to be the most vulnerable
0: and you you definitely get that at the very end where she where she does say that like i i do care and you're just like oh like that <laughs> it, it just adds so much you know it it really brings the whole story together and i think you talked about a, a diary and you know having your own narrative or getting to tell your own story it, it reminds me, first off, it reminds me a lot of Hamilton, you know, Mm -hmm. where uh, like the death is a common theme with that, you know, with with Alexander Hamilton, he brings death up a lot. Um, And then the whole thing is, you know, who lives, who dies, who tells your story. She wants to tell her own story. And with the diary portion, it's really funny. You say that my, my wife just gave my daughter her old diary and it has, has the lock (laughs) on that. And, and so my daughter's been uh, doing that, but when we first got it, I was like, oh, Andrea, like we should look through this. I bet it's really funny. She's like, uh, no, like <laughs> let me look through that first, you know? And it's like, she wants to rip out the pages that she yeah. wants me to see. So, so it's just, you know, it, I don't know if kids really write in, in diaries anymore, but I know my daughter at least has one now. Uh, <laughs> we'll see if she uses that, um, when she, when she grows up. But
1: that's
0: great. <laughs> uh, another thing I wanted to ask you about that I, I really loved was right from the beginning um right from the first scene it just like one of the ways that i view star wars or you know somewhat judge star wars um especially new star wars is how star wars does it feel and right from literally the first minute of this story you're just dropped in to the middle of a story um and it just feels so star wars from the beginning and then we get maz Kannada, who just the contrast of the characters is, is awesome. And it, and it tells everybody kind of who Afra is, even if you don't know who she is, like right from the first two minutes, you know, you know who she is. Um, What went into the decision of using Moz in that opening scene? (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's funny that you asked that. Um, you know, when, when I had that first conversation with Elizabeth and Nick, and we were sort of talking about, like, broad strokes for, you know, these audio dramas, like do's and don'ts, what do people like, you know, what's kind of some fun things to bring in, what are some new things we could bring into this story? Um, I remember that uh, we talked about, like, wanting to have this first scene that took place a little bit before, the moment where we first see her in the, in the comics, which is when she's trying to liberate the triple zero matrix um, as part of a job. And so we are like, okay, so what would she maybe be doing right before that? And I wanted to really have the scene um, that's in a lot of uh, like, Heist movies, or like you know, movies with like con people, or whatever, where um, you see that person being really really good at what they do. You see that was sort of like why they are able to like accomplish all of these things and how they get away with stuff. And you know, um, the first scene that we see Ephra in, in the comics, we do get the sense that you know she is good at her job, but she also gets caught immediately. So I was <laughs> like, you know, if she's telling the story, obviously she's not going to start there with her getting caught like she'd want to show off what an amazing sort of you know archaeologist slash explorer slash person who gets out of a lot of jams she is and so i did want to have this kind of space battle you know um, where we see her like being really good at her job. This sort of the fast talking and the trickery, and you know the way that she does kind of speak to these these droids and these mechanical things as if they're people, as if they're things that you know she can sort of. Well, droids are people. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to like to put down droids. I meant more of the like the parts of the ship that are you know maybe not sentient that she's kind of configuring. Um, but I wanted to show all of that, and then. And uh, Nick had said something in that initial conversation about how, you know, um, in the audio dramas, a lot of times the fans really love it when they hear, Familiar characters because it's an exam. It's a chance to hear those voices, and that's actually why I also ended ended up writing um, a Padme speech um, a little later in the book. There's sort of like this moment where she finds this hollow of Padme, and she's like listening to it. And I was like, oh, I can write a speech for Padme, and then people can hear Padme. And so with this one, I was like, uh, well, who would she be fighting? Like, who would make sense for that era? Who would she be like stealing stuff from? And um, I can't remember if it was me or my husband. I think it actually might've been my husband. He was like, it might, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's Maz. Maybe she like tried to steal something from Maz. And that was really interesting to me since we've heard all these, you know, the, this talk about how Maz was like this big pirate queen. And that's how she got a lot of these artifacts that are now in her, her little bar. And so I was like, that could be cool. Um, you know, I feel like, we maybe haven't seen Maz as much in in other situations or in in situations where she is being that badass pirate queen and i thought um her personality would play really interesting opposite afra um so that was just that was really fun to write because it was that big space battle but it's these two you know kind of unusual characters having this very contentious interaction and um I, when I wrote the, the pitch, I actually wasn't sure if they would let me use Moz. You know, I never really sure, like, what's off limits because it's something else is being done with it or because for whatever reason, you know, the, the continuity has decided that X is not possible or like whatever it is. So I was really happy when, <laughs> when, um, they let me use that as well. And, um, that scene I think is, is very fun to listen to.
0: For sure. And it, yeah, just listening to it, it was, I couldn't stop listening to it after that because you're, you're just like, you're thrown into the middle of the story. Like every single star Wars movie, like most of the comics where you're just, you're, in it. And so, yeah, hearing Maz's voice, you're, you're totally right. The fans love that. I love that. Um, <laughs> anytime I hear, you know, certain things like, Oh, okay. You know, I love that uh, continuity. And I'm kind of a completionist too, where I, like I want to know every detail of everything. And so uh, getting a little bit more Maz was, was definitely good. And yeah, it just <laughs> it, it set it up so well, you know, we have the pirate queen on one side that wants to keep it, you know, keep the, micro dust the stealth antique micro dust which is such a good star wars uh <laughs> <laughs> artifact name um but she wants to keep it you know for good and safekeeping and afra's like no like i, I want to use that just it was a it was a great great way to open up the story
1: yeah i mean um, i think afra is like um an interesting archaeologist because she does always want these these things to sort of be used. Like she wants them to be like enjoyed by people instead of just like sitting in a vault or a museum. And so I love that sort of aspect of her that she has like respect for these artifacts but she also doesn't see any reason to like preserve them. Like she wants them to be used for whatever their, their original purpose was.
0: She respects them so much. that She <laughs> has to see them in action. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you also get to write uh, Han Solo, Boba Fett, uh, the, <laughs> The Emperor, uh, Luke Skywalker, obviously Vader. And there's just so many fun scenes with, with characters that we know. And then on top of that, we get the murder droids with Triple Zero and BT-1. And uh, did you have a favorite part to write or any of those, either you know something that you adapted or something new? Was anything really uh, stood out as your favorite?
1: I mean, of course, Afra is my favorite. Um, She takes up a a large portion of the running time. Um, But besides her, I mean, it was obviously it was all, you know, a delight. I mean, I just writing those names into a script is like a trip. Um, But... uh, I mean, of course, Triple Zero, who I think it was sort of one of the most anticipated voices because people really wanted to know what he sounded like. Um, of course, he was a lot of fun. You know, he had a lot of amazing dialogue that Kieran wrote already. Like, he did such a good job of sort of establishing what is a really, I think, very distinctive voice in Star Wars. And so whenever I got to write new lines for him, um, it was just kind of the best because he's just so horrible. Like, he just is... So like, if you can think of like a decent thought, he will think of like, whatever is the exact opposite and his hatred for organics and humanoids and, you know, anything that's basically not a droid, I think just provides so much for that. It it really like lends itself well to sort of writing these, these horrible lines he's saying, um, and you know i also loved writing the the wookies all the different wookies um that was very fun and again it's just it's just one of those things where it's a trip because uh, also with both the wookies and the droids um a lot of the quote unquote dialogue you're writing is not actual dialogue it's like sound effects and like different kinds of roars and different kinds of beeps um so sort of figuring out like how how would this wookiee roar in this moment. How does it sound different from like all the other times? Uh was a lot of a lot of fun.
0: Is it like a uh, in parentheses roars angrily for black yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think we put things like um you know, a uh, triumphant Ricky war- roar when maybe, you know, someone's w- winning like a pit match. I think there was like petty wookie roar, like there was like a lot of a lot of different parentheticals that I used just so like the actors would also be able to (laughs) convey whatever they needed to in that moment.
0: Definitely. Um, Another thing, uh, switching gears a little bit. Another thing I wanted to ask was Dr. Aphra has been especially important to Asian American fans as well as the LGBT community. And there's this great line where she says, if there's no door, I make one. And It really made me think of some of the interviews that I've read that you've done where, you know, growing up, you didn't have those superheroes. You didn't have those um, characters in media. Um, And so now you're writing them, you know, with, with the heroin complex. So what does representation in media mean to you and how important is it for those characters to be out in the world?
1: I mean, it's so important. I I think that this is just something that, like, if you get it, you get it. But I I think a lot of us uh, fans of, of any media have really grown up not seeing ourselves, and I think that sends a message. It sends a message that we're not important, or that we're our humanity is less than other people's, or that we're just not, you know, worthy or interesting enough to sort of be centered in a story. Um, and so, what have you know, my the the thing that I do with a lot of my work is just I want people. Like me to feel seen, to feel like they are centered in a story. They can be the main character. They can have all these great adventures that, you know, white people have been having for years. And um, I think that, you know, if you don't see that, it It just, it does make you feel like you don't matter. It does make you feel like you can't really be a main character, even in your own life. That's something I've talked about a lot that, you know, it took me a long time to see myself as a main character, even in my own life, which is obviously deeply messed up. So I think that, um, you know, it's really, it's one of those things that I still find very hard to sort of put into words like why this is important. I think it's just something that. When you, you see it, you know, you know, I remember having a, a galley of the first Heroin Complex and, you know, it had the cover and uh, the Heroin Complex covers are done by this artist, Jason Chan, who's amazing. And he had done such a great job of putting these two Asian American women on the cover and having them look different and having them different from each other. I mean, they just didn't, you know, didn't use the same face twice, which sometimes people do. Um and their their personalities were expressed really well, and obviously, when you see them on the cover, they're they're obviously having like a really good time. They're doing this sort of very classic superhero thing. They're having like a big adventure, um, and the colors are very candy and poppy. And so I remember having that and um, giving it to one of my friends and her friend's little girl, who is also a mixed race Asian American person like me and like. One of the characters was in the cover, like her eyes just got so big and she tried to like snatch it. Like she was like yanking it out of my friend's hands. She was like, I need this. I need to read this. Like, look at, look what's on the cover. And I was kind of like, oh, there's some inappropriate content. <laughs> um, but um, I think that that to me really. Set, you know, it says so much, you know, at that point, that was what 2016. At that point, I was, I was kind of like, well, it, you know, is this still a big deal? Like, do kids growing up now still feel this way? Obviously, they have a little bit more media to choose from. But I think, obviously, it, it still makes a huge difference. Um, You know, when I see little Asian girls react to Rose Tico, I think that that's incredible. And that, really says something. Um, So again, I think it just comes down to like, if you don't see that, if all the stories you're watching center one kind of person, the kind of person who has been centered literally forever um, in basically every pop culture story, it sends a message to you. And I hope that as we continue on, that message is changing.
0: And I'm glad that Star Wars, especially, um, you know, in the last few years, we, we have characters like Rose. We have characters like Afra. When you're talking about, you know, how kids react to that a couple of years ago, when, or I guess was that last year? All these r- years are running together. Uh, I think it was last year, um, when Jana was on, um, was in the trailer uh, or announces a character for the, uh, Rise of Skywalker. That was a big deal. My daughter is also, um, mixed race. And so, that was the first time really like she saw her hair, you know, in star Wars. I mean, we had Val and solo as well. Um, but it was the same reaction where she was having, you know, we live in a, in a pretty uh, diverse neighborhood, but not so much a diverse state, if that makes sense. Um, so she was having some trouble with her hair and just self image and, um, so seeing that on there, like she kind of latched on to Jana at that moment and was like wanted to know everything about her, wanted the you know, the toys and everything. So um yeah, I think that's uh just really it, it boils down to that sometimes on, you know, especially the next generation coming up and what they see and what they're exposed to. So yeah, just very appreciative uh of the work <laughs> that that you're doing for sure. Thank you. So our, my last question, so when you heard the final product uh, in audio drama form, uh, what was your reaction? I know that uh, Emily Wuzeller was just outstanding and just right when we first heard her talk as Afra, like seeing that from the comic books, like, Oh no, that's Afra. Like that is, <laughs> that's a hundred percent Afra. Um, and then on top of that, we have all the cool, you know, we have across the stars playing when sauna and Afra are talking and just stuff like that. What was your reaction to the, uh, to the final product of the audio drama?
1: I mean, it was amazing to hear. I was very emotional. I, I felt, I felt like Nick and all the actors really just knocked it out of the park. And um, you know, I think I was a little bit nervous before just because whenever I'm confronted with the final product of anything I've written, it's always a little bit nerve-wracking. Um, but with this, I knew that, you know, I knew all the actors were amazing. I knew Nick is amazing. Like I was very, you know, confident in that sense, but I also knew that um uh, because of the pandemic, they all had to record separately. Um, they all recorded in their homes, basically. Wow. And, you know, I think Nick um, read a lot of the the things they had to react to. So if he was recording with one person, he played all of the other parts so they could kind of interact that way. Um, so we keep saying, you know, with our, our tagline will be like, release the Martirelli cut, because everybody wants to hear the one where he's like playing all the parts. <laughs> um, but the way that it came together, I thought was extra amazing because of that, because I, I couldn't tell. It sounded like they were all in a studio <laughs> together and it sounded like they were, you know, legitimately interacting with each other. Um, they did, they were able to record um, some of the Afro sauna scenes with uh, Emily Ruzeller and Nicole Lewis um, on on a Zoom. So some of that I think was, they, they recorded together to kind of get that chemistry. Um, But yeah, it was just super emotional. I mean, I think Emily is incredible. I think she does sound, you know, exactly how Aphra is supposed to sound. That's like the voice I hear in my head now. And it was really nice to see other people reacting to her so positively as well. Um, Because if you, you know, if you look at that script, it's like 300 pages and, Most of it's Emily. I mean, there's, you know, obviously the other cast also brought it. They totally brought it. But she has to do 300 pages of internal monologue, plus her dialogue. And she kind of has to switch between all of these different very extreme emotional states like, really fast. So, you know, she's, she's obviously has that bravado, then she has to be kind of vulnerable, then she has to be in love. You know, one of my favorite moments is um, that scene in the classroom, it's a flashback where she first sees Sana, and she's just so like, sort of immediately uncomfortable. And uh, I listened to it with my husband, and he's like, oh, You can you can kind of hear her voice drop. Like she's she's so like it's like goes down an octave because she's suddenly like, oh my God, who is that? And so I thought just like even with just like small moments like that, I thought um she brought so much to it and it's such a full performance. And I still can't, I still can't believe that, you know, she recorded most of that virtually, and that there was so much of it, and that she did such an amazing job. So yeah, she was wonderful. And um, just hearing her and hearing her kind of bring Afro to life definitely made me very emotional.
0: It definitely was the fastest I've ever listened to an audio drama. It just, it, it flew by. I think I finished it in two days and normally uh, audio books and audio dramas, it takes me a lot, takes me like a week, you know, commuting from work and stuff, but like, I couldn't stop, couldn't stop listening. It was just, it was just so well done. And um, yeah, definitely glad that, glad to have you in the Star Wars universe. And, and and I really hope we get more of you as well. <laughs> thank, uh, <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining me. I I really appreciate your time. Can you tell the listeners where they can find you and of uh, any future projects you have c- coming up?
1: Sure, thank you so much. Um, yeah, you can find me online. Um, I'm on Twitter a lot. My my username is just my name, Sarah Kuhn, K-U-H-N. Um, on Instagram, I'm Sarah Kuhn Books. And uh, my website is heroincomplex.com. That's heroin, like super heroin, not like the drug. And I'm sure it needs to be updated many times. So I, you know, you can go there, but you might not find the most up-to-date information. Um, And yeah, I have a few other things uh, happening. Um, I'm still writing the Heroin Complex series. I'm working on book five, which comes out next summer. And um, I also have um, a YA Rom-com coming out next year, um, which is not really supernatural. It does have a little bit of like everyday magic it's kind of fairy tale inspired it's called from little tokyo with love and it's about a girl who does not believe in happy endings and you know i don't want to give away any spoilers but by the end she might have changed her mind so um, those are the main things um uh, i have coming up and then i think i have a couple of things that are, are still secrets so someday I'll get to tell you about those.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. Uh, Congratulations on everything. And there is one more thing. um, And it's on your Instagram profile right Mm -hmm. now. And it's a blog post on uh, angry Asian man uh, on that blog. And it's about community and burnout. And I just want to say everyone, first off, everyone should should read it. It's, It's just so good. And I really appreciate you, you know, putting that out there. And it was um, very personal, I could tell. and um, but it was very inspirational as well. So just wanted to say thank you for, oh,
1: for well, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Um, that was a very uh, difficult piece to write. It took me a while. Um, the ending of it kind of changed thanks to some recent events. Um but yeah, i I think that that's, you know, community is probably something that's on all of our minds right now, especially since our communities are being challenged this year and we kind of have to find other ways to to come together since it's so hard to come together in person um so i was i was very touched with how many people said they related to that because at some point when i was you know driving myself up the wall trying to write it i was just kind of like all right, this is something that is going to exist so that I can kind of get some stuff out. And that's really what it's for. And thank you, Angry Asian Man, for giving me a place to do that. Um, so I really was, was very moved that it, it actually spoke to a lot of, a lot of people. Um, cause originally it was just supposed to be kind of a goofy piece about, um, the rival franchise, Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> which I also, I love both Star Wars and Star Trek. Yeah. Um, So the fact that it became something else and, you know, Phil angry Asian man still wanted to actually run it. And, you know, that people actually responded to it really meant a lot to me. And I hope that it means that, you know, our communities are going to be okay. They're going to survive our most recent global crisis, crises, all of them. Um, And hopefully we can sort of keep connecting even if it's, like this over, you know, a video or a podcast or a zoom or whatever it is. I hope we can keep doing it.
0: Me too. um, Yes. Thanks again for that. And um, yeah, I really appreciate your time. You can follow the show at force time pod on Twitter and on Instagram. And until next time, may the force be with you.